0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today, we have a completely spoiler-filled review of Marvel's Eternals. This is actually the second crack I'm having at recording a review of that, since I sat down and um, put out my thoughts to the recording software as soon as I got back from the cinema last Friday. But unfortunately, that kind of just turned into a bit of a screed because I was left relatively wanting, uh, a bit disappointed by this movie. And on the re-listen in the editing process, I realised that it was being less constructive and more complaining. So now, having had a bit of time to get my thoughts in order about exactly where I thought the plot stood up and where it fell down, I'm going to sit down and have a proper sort of dissection of the areas that uh, that disappointed me, and of course the areas I did think it did well. If you're after a non-spoilers review, which goes over these, the general things without drilling into specific plot points, I do have a written version of a review on the Terry Talks Fiction website. You can check it up there. It doesn't spoil the movie. So if you're looking for more of a a general overview, uh, that's the place to go, terrytalksfiction.com. I also speak a lot more in that location about how I felt regarding the characters in general, uh, as a team, as individuals, and I'll be leaving most of that out of this discussion here so we can focus on the big issues of how the narrative fit together, and the plot that was laced throughout it. But for now, let's just leap straight into it. Marvel's Eternals really diverts from the Marvel formula. It's something that, I guess, the movie is sort of standing up and owning, which is a good thing in a way, because I'm all there for the Marvel movies trying to do something different. Things like taking the superhero genre and fiddling with it and putting it into whatever other genre you want. We've seen them do that really well with the Winter Soldier being a spy thriller, Ant-Man being a heist movie. Even Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 are doing something different to the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a way, how they deal with their characters and plot lines. So we know that the Marvel movies and the superhero genre has a lot of potential to be spread over a lot of different things. But even in all those cases... Those movies were still working towards what people know as the Marvel formula. The sort of the same sort of act structure, the same approach to character development, and the same relative lightheartedness because there's always colour, there's always a joke or two, there's always multiple things going on uh, in the movie that sort of any viewer can sort of latch onto. That's all well and good if you like the Marvel formula. I happen to really like it. Obviously, enough people like it to keep making these movies blockbuster successes, but not everybody does. And I'm all there for Marvel trying to branch out for something new. Unfortunately, the reality of the situation is that the Marvel formula exists and has been used for so many of these movies because it really, really works. It does a really good job of investing the audience in the character or the characters in the movie as actual individuals, it does a great job at developing a character arc during the course of a single movie and uses the same process to develop that arc over multiple movies. It's not an approach that's shared by other superhero movies out there, like DC is the obvious example. And a lot of the problems that I have with the DC movies are also the problems that I have with the Eternals movie as well, particularly in terms of how the audience is introduced to these characters and expected to connect with them, how it seems just to be shortcutting everything towards a giant, big, bombastic, splashy spectacle, and how it doesn't take its opportunities to really drill into the parts of the movie that would invest the audience in the characters. I think that the ways that it does this individually really really well. The characters in this movie are all fascinating. There's not a single person in the central cast that I was bored with that I didn't want to spend time with on screen or who I felt didn't really belong in the mix. They all worked really well as individuals. Cersei is fantastic. I love the actress and it was really great to see her take this role of trying to step into a position of leadership that she never expected to have. That was really good. I felt that she was a good character to have done that as well. It made for an interesting point of growth for her in the movie. Unfortunately, that was then partnered with the idea that Cersei is so in love with humanity that she'd be willing to abandon the plan that they'd been working for 5,000 years towards once she finds out what the plan actually is. In favour of humanity. That's a really great point. It's really hammered home nicely by those flashbacks where we see her really getting into helping people in Babylon build, you know, build communities. It's really hammered home with the fact that she now has a human love interest that she is getting quite serious with. That is then completely undercut by taking that human out of the entire movie. He's only in at the start, he comes back for one scene at the end. The rest of the time, Cersei is spending her time with Icarus, which we are to understand she's done the majority of the last 4,700 years doing already. And whilst we do have a single human character following around the central cast, I couldn't help but think how much more powerful it would have been if the human character caught up in this Eternals mess wasn't a videographer being used for comedy, But was the boyfriend of Cersei, who is being the literal stand-in for her love of humanity, just in this mix. He'd be completely out of his league, for one thing, which would be a source of comedy if you wanted it to. But also would increase the actual tangible threat of Icarus. Because you could have those two characters at odds with each other throughout the movie, and the intense power differentiation between them would make Icarus actually seem like a threat to people. Because when we honestly face it, we get told time and time again that Icarus is the strongest one out of all of them. And yet we never actually see him win any of the fights against them. He never manages to kill another Eternal. He drops one off for Deviants to kill. But everybody else he laser blasts, gets up and walks it off. And so they never really felt like an honest threat, that they were honestly threatened by this guy. Having a human character in there to just really drill home the choice that they're making between humanity and the Celestials' plan would have really just made Cersei's character that much more impactful in the entire movie because it did feel like the movie couldn't decide if it wanted the main character to be Cersei and the idea of her stepping into this leadership role and her love for humanity, or whether it wanted the movie to be about Icarus as the threat in the shadows that is masterminding everything towards this goal, nefarious goal, and the rest of the Eternals have to band together to stop him. And it's the problem you get when you take an idea, like putting in a Superman character, who is even called Superman by a child in the movie, And making the deal with them being, but what if Superman was a bad guy? That simply isn't a perspective you can take by itself anymore. Since the Brandon Roth Superman, Superman Returns in, what, 2006? We have not had, since then, a simple treatment of Superman as Superman. The treatment has always been. For the last 15 years, what if Superman went bad? And that's been explored not only through Superman's actual appearances in film, but also through video games, through cartoons, through unrelated story media like the Suicide Squad. Now we have to kill Superman because Superman's gone bad. Every time you see Superman, or a Superman character, or an Omni-Man... Or a Homelander. It's always the same treatment now. It's almost like people don't know what to do with that kind of character. So just default to, oh, let's invert it. But when you've inverted it every time for 15 years, that's no longer an inversion. And just presenting that by itself is no longer interesting. In my review of Invincible, I pointed out the same prospect. Omni-Man being evil by itself, is not interesting anymore. The tension between the audience and the characters, by letting the audience know just how evil Nolan is from the first episode, and then using that to string out the sense of danger every time he is in a scene for the rest of the series, that is what made that interesting. If there was no indication that Omni-Man was evil until the turn in the second last episode of the series, that would not be interesting. And Eternal suffers from not doing something similar. It is bleedingly obvious to any viewer who has watched any Superman character in a movie or TV or comics or games or what have you for the last 15 years that the moment Icarus steps out of the rubble in London just happening to be around where this deviant suddenly showed up, you immediately know that he is the bad guy. Because that's the only way the character has been treated for so long. So for the movie to play then go ahead and play it completely straight and expect you to be shocked by it or expect you to find it interesting is a real miss. It's a huge missed opportunity. If it had been made clear that he was working against the Eternals from the start, if it had been made clear that he was an actually dangerous figure who was actually able to kill off their friends, it would have been a very different movie. It would have been a much better sense of tension and it would have ramped better towards the conclusion. And I think that's the good point to pivot to the major problem I had with the movie. This movie has a blockbuster sense of scale and I don't mean that in a good way. One of the things I've always marked is the difference between Marvel and DC is the way that they ramp to scale. The way that they take a hero and ramp the threat to suit where the hero is currently at in their character journey. But that character journey is twofold. It's how the character is internally journeying through the story and how the character is relating to the audience through that story as well. It's why we start... With an Iron Man whose villain is a surrogate uncle looking for Tony's inheritance. Not starting to Iron Man with the Battle of New York, where all of a sudden he has to fly a nuke through a portal. That sort of rapid character change from the start of the Avengers movie to the point where he does make the sacrifice play, he does lay down on the wire so the other guy can crawl over, would have been breakneck whiplash quick if we hadn't already had the context of the movies that came before it and watching the development of the character to that point. So he can still start off as the arrogant know-it-all, but you already know that that's one side of a multi-layered character. Another seven movies later, seven movie appearances later, when he is standing there or kneeling there before Thanos ...with the Infinity Gauntlet about to click. The threat has scaled in pace with the character. We have a very deep, nuanced knowledge of Tony Stark as a character... ...and Iron Man as a hero by this point of the franchise. And having a moment where not only the lives of the planet Earth are on at stake... ...but half the universe to go with them makes sense... And it seems like a logical progression from the, we're having a fight in the sky that I win because I can fly higher without icing up my suit. To a massive battle between an army of heroes, Wakandans and sorcerers versus an army of aliens and Thanos and the scope of that fight, having two massive armies and a bunch of heroes we have multiple movies for, scaled to the scope of the threat and the stakes at play, which is the world and half of the universe. We haven't just launched straight into that scale. Marvel's Eternals gives us two and a half hours of, to collect a team of characters that we've never met before, and we have no idea who they are, and although it does, as I said, a really excellent job of individually exploring these characters and their flaws and their strengths and their the interesting parts about them, it's simply not enough time for us to fully engage with those characters to the point where the scale of the threat is a world-ending scenario straight out the gate and not only a world ending scenario but a world ending scenario which is more impossible to stop than anything else that has ever been faced in the marvel universe the sheer scale of a creature so large that it will crack the open earth like an egg while it emerges from it is mind-boggling that is not a threat that can be defeated by captain america's shield no matter how hard he piffs it but to expect the audience who has grown used to seeing the gradual and the appropriate gradient of threat to character to suddenly accept that this handful of characters standing alone on a beach in the middle of nowhere with nobody else around, not even a bird, are going to step up to this threat and stop this enormous world-cracking entity with no help but themselves and nothing but a desperate plan they don't even think could work and which wouldn't work unless they had rewritten the rules that they'd established at the start for Cersei's character without giving us a proper explanation as to why she can suddenly transmute sentient beings when she hasn't been able to for the past 5,000 years. It smacks of lazy writing it completely inflates the scope of the threat without also making sure the audience can engage with that threat the whole way through. It's a click and drag approach. It's try If you've got a Word document and an object, a picture in the middle of that document, if you just click and drag the corner to make that bigger, make the threat bigger, bigger scale, bigger scope, now it can destroy the world... You're going to shove all the rest of the document out of whack because all of the text lines are going to go freaking everywhere. And it's like they've done that here with the narrative. They've inflated the sense of threat and it has, by doing that, has completely disordered the rest of the narrative and the way that the characters and the plot all work in concert to build towards the final moment. The build is janky. The plot can't decide whether it wants to be about the family dynamic and the threat of Icarus and Cersei trying to step up and make the decisions. It can't decide whether it wants to be instead about a family having to come together after they've fallen apart because they've suddenly got this external force bringing them together that's drawing them in to make this fight that only they can do against the celestial. And to cap all that off, they've also got the line with the Deviant who is stalking them and killing them. Which frankly seems like it should have been the major and only threat of the movie. Because it is at the appropriate scale for the rest of it. While we are still learning who these characters are, and while we are still being introduced to their power sets... And while we are still figuring out exactly how they work, it makes perfect sense to have a creature hunting them down one by one and extracting their powers, absorbing that to become stronger and bigger. And the threat doesn't have to be any bigger than that to be deeply engaging. It doesn't need to be something that's going to break the world apart. All it needs to be is something that's going to break the family apart because that is the f- what the movie seems that it wants to be focusing on the most. It's easy to sit here and sort of say you want to rewrite something when you don't have any of the pressures of of the actual development cycle going on. But it's mind-boggling that this wasn't the choice, that it wasn't a focus around this deviant and that the movie built towards a final reveal in the post credit scene that it had been Icarus, which had fed it the first Eternal, uh, after all, and started the whole process. We already knew going in that the Eternals was going to be an ongoing series. Unless Spider-Man in No Way Home really, really needs a Celestial Hand to web-swing off at some point, sticking out of the Pacific Ocean, you could simply have ramped the scale of the threat over multiple movies bring the family together have a threat that is directly impacting the family giving them a reason not to be separated anymore then you go on to starting the next movie knowing that Icarus is a threat and having the delicious tension the way all the way through until the end instead they tried to cram everything into the one movie and it suffers for it it doesn't have a clear sense of direction it doesn't engage you with the characters deeply enough to justify the scale of the threat in the plot. And that is a real shame, because these characters are phenomenal. And I really wanted to spend the time in the movie just focusing on them. What broke them apart, how they're going to come back together, and how they're going to work together, now that they're facing a single entity that is greater than they've ever faced before, but still only a couple of degrees greater. A Deviant which has the powers of two other Eternals. That's a a perfect level of threat for your first outing, especially since that gives you the opportunity to do things like establish how powerful Icarus is without just having to have everyone saying all the time, he's the most powerful one. And then when it comes down to a fight, him being absolutely trounced once more than one Eternal is working together to fight him. And as I said before, it's the same thing that I... The same problem I have with the DC movies because they do the same thing. They immediately scale to bigger, must be more important, must be better for the movie. So let's make everything big. Every threat is big. It's enormous. Look at this. Wow. Explosions. And that's just not as inherently interesting as the regular Marvel approach of taking a character, seeing where their strengths and their weak points are, and tailoring a villain or a situation specifically to that character or to that team. I could easily believe that this was a fight, this was a threat, that needed to be faced by the Justice League. Because there is literally nothing differentiating this between any generic superhero team you can plug in. And that's a goddamn shame. So, at the threat of this having also just turned into a complete screed about the movie, I'd like to throw it over to you guys. Who else out there has watched the Eternals and come away with a different perspective on it? Like, did you guys find that the character, the individual character stories were enough to invest you in them and were enough to justify the scale and scope of the plot? How did you find that it worked building your expectations towards the end? Or did the Icarus turn really take you by surprise? Perhaps, again, as someone who in habits a lot of this type of media it's just something that's blindingly obvious to me but not to anybody else reach out either on the Terry Talks Fiction website where there's comments you can leave underneath the review post or through the discord server Talking Fiction which I'll link to in the show notes below here I'd love to continue the conversation and get your perspective on this movie as well since I do feel like perhaps I went in with higher expectations than I should have, and maybe I need someone to pull me back into line. Next week, we'll have a book review for you on John Scalzi's Red Shirts, taking us away from movies and superheroes and straight into literature and science fiction, with a little flavour of some very familiar science fiction TV we've been watching since the 1960s. I look forward to speaking about that one then and hopefully talking with you all about Eternals very soon.